continue our series, Journey to Sunrise. This sermon is entitled, Questions in the Dark. Let's pray. Our Father God, um, your will be done in this service, in our hearts, and our minds. May Jesus be glorified and your people edified. I pray this in his holy name, the name of Jesus, amen. The young man looked up at me. He said, it must be tough being a minister. How do you do it? And then before I could answer, he continued, you must get asked some pretty tough questions. What are the toughest questions you've ever been asked? He looked up at me expectantly. I could almost see his mind working behind those inquisitive eyes. Through the years, I've been asked a lot about ministry, what it's like, that's not unusual, but his question was, you must get asked some pretty tough questions, Ron. What are some of the toughest questions you've ever been asked? Wow. His question caught me off guard, hit me right between the eyes, caused a reflex in my gut, brought back a lot of sad memories. It's not that his question was hard, it's that the answer was, most of the time I can answer people's questions about ministry without even blinking an eye. I'm a preacher and the son of a preacher. I can answer without a pause, almost like automatic pilot or automatic pastor, but not this. His made me think, his made me stop, his brought some pain. I knew the answer to his question immediately. I knew the answer all too well, but I was visiting him where he worked and couldn't take a lot of time to answer in detail the toughest questions a minister gets asked. I mean, he was painting a car professionally, and you don't just stop in the middle of spraying a car and leave it for dialogue on tough questions preachers get asked. So I quickly looked for the right words, the precise words, and more than that, the concise words, because we ministers are notorious, or have a reputation at least, of being long-winded. You're praying not so today. So I kept it short, real short. I think my answer almost surprised him as much as his question surprised me. I looked at my friend and I said, the toughest questions that people ever ask me usually begin with the word why. I don't think it's what he expected. I think he expected me to say some question on doctrine, some doctrinal question that pulled so much energy from your brain, it caused it to short circuit. I've had questions, plenty of them, from brilliant professors and seminaries on long tests, but those questions are easy. Frankly, those questions are a piece of cake compared to the questions that come from this life that begin with the word why. I call them questions in the dark. The toughest questions aren't asked in seminaries. I've learned they're asked in cemeteries, in hospital rooms, surgical waiting rooms, or in a pastor's office with people needing a lot of Kleenex and compassion. I've been asked them by sobbing mothers, heartbroken fathers, and devastated children left behind. Why questions are tough. I've been asked them in the middle of turmoil of anger and pain. I remember one time 
it can be good to be big as a pastor. One woman, her, her daughter had just died. We're in the hospital room. And, and she was so angry and she was just pounding me. Why? Why? I've also heard this question softly. Where a person has trouble even getting the words out. And softly falling tears. So I tell you, the toughest questions I've ever been asked haven't come from professors in hygienic classrooms, no offense, theology department, are from the heights of ivory towers. They have come in the deepest valley of life, the valley of the shadow, questions in the dark. You see, what I've learned is that the toughest questions in life are not the ones that work your brain so hard at short circuits. They're the ones that work your heart so hard it breaks. And they usually begin with the word why. I think it'd be good for all of us to take a look at one of those tough questions asked in the Bible, asked of Jesus, and hear his answer, hear what Jesus says. The question was asked by one of the most spiritual men who ever lived, so I guess it's okay to have questions. The key is where you take them. It's a tough question. The question and the answer are found in the book of Matthew, the 11th chapter, and that's where we'll hang out here for a few minutes. Matthew 11, we'll start with verse 3, for that's where the question is. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? This had to be one of the toughest questions Jesus ever had to answer. Are you the one who is to come? One translation, are you the coming Messiah? Or do we look for somebody else? If this was all you read, you wouldn't see it as some tough question. But, I mean, if you just read it casually, you won't notice it. But if you read the verses around it, then you will know that it is John the Baptist who is asking the question, and he can't even ask it in person because he is in prison for doing the right thing. At the behest of Herod. But you're not going to be a casual Bible reader, are you? So you will read verses around the verse, and you will know that this must have been one of the toughest questions ever asked Jesus, asked by his cousin, his anointed cousin in prison. One of the most faithful children of God. He's being asked by a prophet, an evangelist. He's being asked by one of the most godly men who has ever lived. The casual reader might say, Pastor Ron, I don't see the word why in this verse, but you are not a casual reader of the Word of God, are you? Because if you read closely and you know the context, you know that the word why is written all over it. Now, some people tell me they think, well, this was John sending this message because it was important that his disciples would know the answer. And that may be true, but I want to say that I've read the Bible enough to know that even that Old Testament prophet where we had the scripture reading from today named Habakkuk asked questions and Job asked questions and the patriarch David, patriarch, prophet, king, shepherd. And what about Job? A sinful world has a way of bringing questions. 
In Matthew chapter 11, really behind all this is the injustice of this world. A godly man is imprisoned for an evil man's sin. And Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And if you had the beliefs that they had, you'd have this belief that the Messiah is going to come. He's going to free all his people from Rome. And wouldn't you think he's going to help get his cousin out of jail free? In this passage, God's man is in prison. And God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. In this passage, John the Baptist, the man of God who baptized Jesus, is in a prison cell while evil Herod is living it up on a throne. John, the one who wore camel's hair, lived life out in the wild, the one who slept under the stars, the man whose home had no walls, the mountain man of the New Testament is locked up in a dungeon, trying to breathe air through prison bars, standing on tiptoe trying to catch a glimpse of the sun to catch just a little bit of light there in that dark prison. It is John the Baptist, the one who is willing to decrease so that Jesus can increase. It is that John, John the Baptist, who sends this question, and they are looking for answers. And so are we. Because in our world, questions come. Questions like, if God is so good, why do I hurt so bad? Why do so many good people suffer? Why do evil people seem to prosper? Why do good people die because of evil people? I mean, just turn on a little news for a short time all around the world with all our interesting, sick world leaders. Dead man in Russia, huh? A sinful world of injustice. Questions like, if God is so good, why do young people die? Questions if God is really there, why am I here? What did I do to deserve this? If God is real, then why is he silent? Why doesn't he come to me? Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he answer? Why is it that my prayers don't seem to get any higher than the ceiling of my prison cell or my hospital room or thy divorce court or my dorm room? In John's world, like ours, it is easier to see Jesus when the Messiah is wading into the Jordan River on a sunny day coming toward you, and you can hear the voice of God, and you can see the Spirit like a dove descending from heaven, hovering over Christ, and you can hear the Father. It is tougher. On another day, when you're falsely imprisoned, because of a wicked man's sin. And you're on death row. And Jesus doesn't even seem to come and visit in person. Are you the one? Or should we look for another? That's John's question. And whether John needed the answer or his disciples needed the answer, I say a whole lot of us need an answer. So take a look at Matthew 11. Let's look at verses 4 through 6 now. 
Matthew 11, 4 through 6, and Jesus answered. He, he does a little bit of this show and tell. He, he heals people, he preaches, and then he says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And don't miss this. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on me. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble and die letting go of me. Jesus answers a question from one prophet, quoting another. He answers John the Baptist's question with a passage from Isaiah, who all theologians call the messianic prophet. When I was a kid, I thought, what was so messy about this guy? I relate. Ah the prophet who wrote the most about the coming Messiah. He quotes an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah to answer a New Testament prophet named John the Baptist. And I want to tell you today, and I can't wait someday in heaven to tell him, I am so proud of John the Baptist. I have always been so proud of him. I want you to hear what Jesus said about him in verses 7 and following. As they went away, his disciples, to go tell him the answer, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What, did you go out to just listen to some noise? What then did you go out to see? Now, now this is where, okay, when Jesus says this, man, if Herod ever heard this, it should make him shake a little. What then did you go out to see? A man in soft clothing? They are in king's houses. Then what did you go out to see? And by the way, when Herod finally gets to see Jesus, the night before Jesus dies, Jesus won't even say a word to that guy. Hmm. That's not a silence I would want. Then what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it is written, and now he quotes, so he's given an Old Testament prophecy about Messiah, and now he will give an Old Testament prophecy about the forerunner before Messiah, who is John the Baptist. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So if John the Baptist needed to hear this message, then maybe those of us called to be the John the Baptist, the one to call people to Jesus before he returns, maybe we need this message too. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist. Now, 
wouldn't you like to be sitting beside John the Baptist in heaven somewhere, in one of those many rooms Jesus went to prepare? You're in there, and you're in that room in heaven with him, and you see him pick up a Bible left by the Gideons in that room. They've got to get there before us, put all the Bibles out. See him pick up a Bible and watch him read these verses. Wouldn't that be cool? John probably didn't hear these words, but you have. And you know that Jesus not only knew what John was going through, but he knew what was coming to John very shortly, that he would be beheaded. And he wouldn't be stopping that. So there must be some important Bible truth here that you and I in a world filled with dark valleys need to know. So know this, that just because you can't see or hear Jesus for yourself, it doesn't mean that you're not his child or that he doesn't love you or that he isn't proud of you or that you aren't saved or that heaven isn't yours. No. That whatever page you are in, or whatever page is about to open to you down here in this sinful planet, that it is only a page. It is not the end of your story if Jesus is the author of your story. That if Jesus is your Savior, not even death will end your story. I read a story a long time ago. First time I saw it was in a book called The Eye of the Storm by a man named Max Lucado. But I know that this is a story found in Asian wisdom literature. It's called The Wise Woodcutter. I will give you the Ron Reader's Digest version so you can be fed physically soon. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village Although he was poor, he was envied by all. For he owned a beautiful horse. Why, even the king of the country coveted his treasure. A horse like his had never been seen before in that kingdom. Such was its splendor, its majesty and strength. People offered fabulous prices for this steed to this poor old man, but he always refused. He said, this horse isn't a horse to me. This horse is a friend. How could I sell a friend? The man was poor and the temptation was great, but he never sold the horse. One morning, he found that the horse was not in the stable. All the villagers came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. We told you that someone would steal your horse. We warned you that you'd be robbed. You're so poor, you could have, how could you ever hope to protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better if you had sold him. You could have gotten any price you wanted. No amount would be too high. You would have had a good life. Now you're cursed. The man said, don't speak so quickly. Say only that the horse is gone from the stable. That is all I know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how do you know? Only God knows. The people contested, don't make us out to be fools. We may not be great philosophers, but great philosophy isn't needed. The simple fact is that your horse is gone and you are cursed. Fifteen days later, 
The horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He'd run into the forest. Now he returned with 12 other horses, wild horses. Once again, those wise villagers gathered around to the woodcutter and said, old man, you were right. We were wrong. We thought you were cursed. You are blessed. I mean, you can have your son break these horses and you can sell all of them. We were wrong. He said, you are so quick to judge. How do you judge the whole story by one fragment? They heard him but couldn't agree. They knew that he had been blessed. Two days later, the only son of the wise woodcutter was breaking one of the horses. It threw him. He broke both legs. The wise villagers, they say it so sarcastically, gathered again around him. We were wrong. You were cursed. It wasn't a blessing, these horses. Now your only son has broken legs, and now you're worse off than you were before. You were cursed. He said, you people are so quick to judge. Say only that my son's legs have been broken. Why are you so obsessed with judging? Don't go so far. They left him shaking their heads, knowing he was cursed. A few weeks later, his kingdom and a neighboring kingdom went to war. The neighboring kingdom was much larger and more powerful. They came through the village and they took all the young men for the military. And all the villagers gathered around him again sobbing. You are blessed. Your son has broken legs. Our sons are going to war. We'll never see them again. You are so blessed. It's a dangerous thing to judge an entire story by a small piece. The twists and turns of our story. But this is what I know. And this is what Jesus was saying. When you are a child of God, you may not know what is happening to you now. But you can know with absolute certainty how the story ends or never ends. In Matthew 11, verse 7, John's disciples race toward a prison cell. They want to share a personal message from Jesus to his cousin. They are not sure what it means, but they know that John the Baptist, the preacher prophet, will know. When they finally reach him, the prophet John recognizes the words of the prophet Isaiah, who also died in the Lord. And he knows that Jesus is saying, John, I am the one. Look no further. And John the Baptist didn't. He was reminded that his cousin Jesus was the promised one, the Messiah of the world, and that this Messiah would keep all his promises. So John, while he was still locked in prison, he had the assurance of Christ, and he was free. 
In spite of the chains, in spite of the prison cell, John was free. In fact, I believe that John the Baptist was freer than Herod ever was or ever will be. So no matter what your prison cell is, you can be free too. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That little egoe me in the I am, he is claiming something. I am, he is God as well as man. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to us more things than he ever said to John the Baptist. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come. Oh yeah. And receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. I guess what I want to say today most is this, that heaven is more real and lasts a lot longer than any prison cell we are in or ever will be in on this earth. That Jesus is more powerful than pain, suffering, and even death. John asked from a prison cell, are you the one, Jesus? Should we look for another? And Jesus sent a message back. Prophecies being fulfilled. I am the one. Look no further. Well, not far from Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is beheaded by order of a wicked king named Herod. The villagers would have said, that Herod was blessed by God and John the Baptist was cursed. But then again, they never read the ending of the story. But you have, so you know the truth. Now let the truth set you free. You hold on to Jesus. If you have questions, you take them to him. But don't you let go of them. And one day, I look forward to hearing John the Baptist sing this with us. May the day be soon. Our Father God, we're so tired of looking at injustice and evil. We're so tired of suffering. We're so tired of death. Long for you to come make all things new. Lord, if someone's going through a test of faith right now, hold them tight. Someone's facing the shadow of death right now. Shine some light. Come soon. Come soon, I pray, Jesus. Amen.